if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, uh, looking at a, a pretty familiar text probably to most of us. Uh, and uh, happy Mother's Day to the moms in the room. Uh, all you children who forgot to tell your mom happy Mama's Day this morning, don't worry, there is still time because this afternoon and this evening will both still be Mother's Day. So you have time to do that. Mark chapter 9. Uh, pretty familiar passage, uh, uh, encounter with the Lord Jesus we'll be walking through this morning. Uh, as we start, though, I want to start with the concept of thinking about uh, the closer we get to things, the greater of an impact uh, that they have on us. The closer we get to things, the greater of an impact they have on us. Uh, one example I think of would be a flashlight, which, by the way, nowadays, flashlights come in crazy high lumens. I think you can get a 100, 100 million lumen uh, flashlight at this point in time somewhere. Uh, but let's say we're in this room. It's completely pitch dark. Uh, Aaron is standing over here on this wall with a uh, flashlight, and I'm standing across the room. Uh, obviously, the flashlight, I can see it across the room, and he would be able to see me. But the closer I get to that flashlight, the greater of an impact it's going to have on me, meaning if that flashlight was right in front of my face uh, versus across the room, it's not going to impact my eyesight quite as, uh, quite as much. Or you think about a fire, right? I know we don't have snow very often here in the south, but think about a day where you've had a chance to go play in the snow, and you play out there so long that when you come in, your hands and your feet are like, you know, stage one frostbite, uh, and, and you have to get near a fire. Uh, maybe there's a fire pit. Maybe there's a fire in the fireplace. It's still warm, but the closer you get to that fire, uh, the warmer that it gets, the more you can warm up your hands, warm up your toes, all the good stuff, right? So that, that concept of the closer we get to something, the greater of an impact that we have on us also transfers over to our relationship with the Lord Jesus. That the closer that we get to Jesus in our walk with him, both daily walk and just in the entirety of our relationship with Jesus, the greater of an impact he begins to have on our lives. So when we look in Mark's gospel, chapter 9 this morning, I want you to think about walking closely with Jesus impacts our lives. Walking closely with Jesus impacts our lives. Now, this encounter we're going to look at this morning uh, is pretty popular. A lot of people have uh, read it. They've heard of it. It's known as the Mount of Transfiguration. It's actually recorded in three of the four Gospels for us, and uh, we're looking at Mark's account this morning. So in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, let's read this passage. It says, after six days. Now, what's happening here when you see transitional statements like that? One of the things that we see all throughout the Gospels is once Jesus began his public ministry, he began to go around to different towns and to different areas just teaching and preaching and sharing the Gospel. And so what we know is that he didn't stay anywhere longer uh, than a few days. Sometimes he might stay a week, but he didn't set up base camp and have everybody come to him. He went to all the people. He traveled around to different areas. So here he's been in another area going around teaching, healing, preaching, meeting with people, and after six days, as he's in this area, he begins to withdraw, which was a very common uh, practice for Jesus, but this time he takes three of his disciples with him. So chapter 9, verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. 
And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, some of you may have heard this passage before. Some of you may have heard this for the first time. But there's three things in here that you and I can take from this that help us understand the closer we get to Jesus, the greater of an impact he has in our lives. The first thing we see in a couple of verses is that walking closely with Jesus always allows us to see him in ways that we would not otherwise see him. As you and I walk closer with Jesus throughout our lives, we begin to see him in ways that we would not have been able to see him otherwise. You say, Greg, like what in the world does that have to do with anything? How do you, how do you know that? Well, at this point in time in the game, if you're not familiar of where we are in the timeline of the disciples following Jesus, at this point in time in the game, it's very safe to say that the disciples know Jesus at an infinitely greater level than they did on the day they decided to follow him. Every one of them at this point in the game, every one of them had, had heard Jesus, had understood Jesus to be the Messiah that he claimed to be. They believed in that truth, and they left their lives to follow them. Some of them left families. All of them left some type of occupation that they were doing to follow him. And up to this point... They had seen Jesus teach and preach in such a way that the Bible says left people astonished. Now, that's a, that's a big word. I mean, I, I would imagine that you and I both could probably count on one hand the amount of times that we've heard somebody teach and preach in such a way that when we left, we were astonished. You just left going, wow, you know? And, and the thing is, is that that's what these guys had heard. Not only that, at this point in time, they had seen Jesus do so many miracles, like feed the multitudes. They had seen that twice at this point, both with over 5,000 and both and one with over 4,000, with just small amounts of food. That in and of itself would be truly amazing. They had seen Jesus heal blind people, people that were born blind. Jesus would heal them to where now they could see. They saw Jesus heal lame people, people who couldn't walk, who couldn't move, that once Jesus healed them, they could walk and they could get about. They saw Jesus hear deaf people, people that could not hear at all, that now could hear all the sounds, and now all the blind people could see all the sights, all of these things. I mean, guys, at this point in time, they had seen Jesus freaking walk on water, for crying out loud, okay? Not a, not a natural thing. Now, you and I go, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus walked on water. In case you didn't know, nobody walked on the top of the water up to this point in their lives, okay? These guys had seen a ton. It is very safe for you and I to say that at this point in time, these guys had seen Jesus and were astronomically greater and stronger in their faith than they were the day that they fought him, but they still had things that they haven't seen yet. They still had things they hadn't seen yet. And you say, well, Greg, what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, it's very important, especially for you teenagers, to understand that you will never get to a place in life where you learn everything that you need to learn about Jesus. It just, it won't happen. And for those of us adults in the room, it's very important for us to remember that we will never get to a place in our lives 
that we have learned everything that we need to learn about Jesus. There will always be, always be things in our lives that need to be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And there's always things that we can continue to learn about him. You say, well, why is that a big deal? High schoolers, I know most of you are about to ready to graduate. When you transition to college, don't say, oh, well, that church thing was something I did when I was younger. No, you, you keep that going. Like, this isn't the finish line of you in your faith. This is really the starting block, if you want, if you will. And for those of us adults in the room, like, just because we're table leaders doesn't mean that we can no longer continue to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. The godliest person that you know, think about the godliest person that you know, the godliest person that you know will tell you there's still room for me to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And if they don't believe that, they're not the godliest person that you know. Sorry to bust, bust your bubble. But these men, Peter, James, and John, they knew Jesus in a crazy, crazy deep way. They had seen so many things, but even they got to see something new at this point in time. Now, Jesus withdrew a lot. You know, that was very common for him. He was so busy, he would withdraw to spend time with the Lord, and every now and again, he would take a handful with him. Like when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he couldn't roll in there, you know, 13 deep in that room. The room wasn't big enough. And so here, he just takes Peter, James, and John up with him uh, on the mountaintop, and here's how they see him. Look, look in, verse, uh, in verse 2, it says, And there he was transfigured before them, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. You know, we hear all the time about uh, people being in a glorified state, like once they get to heaven, or we read about this with the Mount of Transfiguration. I have to confess, like, I try to imagine what that would be like, but I would imagine that even, uh, even what I picture in my head falls short of what the real thing was. You know, here, here's a guy that they left their life to follow, a guy that they lived with, his whole body was transformed to where he was glowing white. The Bible says whiter than anything you could ever bleach. That would be so cool and bizarre. I mean, there'd be a lot of emotions mixed up in all of that, right? That'd be wild and awesome at the same time. You'd be like, I have no idea what's going on, but this is really super cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep watching. And so here that's how they see Jesus. Transfigured. Warren Wiersbe said, Jesus allowed his glory to radiate through his whole being, and the mountaintop became a holy of holies. What a cool scene. Now, not only that, not only do they see Jesus transfigured and transformed into a way they've never seen him before, now they see two guys who are in the Hall of Fame, two guys that are legends of their faith, Moses and Elijah, who are there with them as well. Now, we don't know if they just kind of like came in on a dissolve filter, if they just, you know, automatically appeared. We don't know if they came up over the horizon and they were like, who's, oh, snap, that's Moses and Elijah. What? We don't know. Here's another thing we don't know. We don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. We don't know if there's like name tag up in heaven, you know, like, hello, my name is. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we, we know that certain times in the Bible, like, like God gives divine uh, revelation about things, right? Think about the prophet Nathan who went to King David and confronted him on his sin with Bathsheba. I mean, there's times where things just happen. We don't know. There's a lot of people who speculate. We don't know exactly how they knew it was them. We don't know if they had, like, you know, uh, like Old Testament trading cards back in the day, and they're like, oh, there's Elijah. I had his card. Oh, but that's Moses. His was limited edition. I never could. I was wanted, but I never could find it. You know, I don't know. I don't know how they knew, but one thing is that we know is that Moses and Elijah were, where, were there with them, and you say, well, why these two, right? Of all the people that could be transfigured with the Lord Jesus, like why Moses, why Elijah? 
We don't know that either. There's a lot of options here that, that people kind of throw out there to us. Number one is, is possibly as representatives. Uh, you know, when, when you read through the New Testament, they refer to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. Uh, and Jesus didn't come to destroy the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. So it could be that this is a great picture of Jesus being a fulfillment of the law and the prophets that he said that they were. Moses being a reputation of the law because he penned the first five books of the Bible for us. Elijah being, um, you know, representative of the prophets. Now, he wasn't the greatest of prophets, but come on, man, let's, let's, let's be honest here this morning. Is there a cooler way to go to heaven than the way Elijah did? I mean, there's three things that fascinate men. Okay, girls, if you, if you want to know, let me educate you real quick. There's three things that fascinate men that men can look at all day long. Running water, fire, and another man working. I don't know what it is about us. That's just, that's what we can do all day long, right? So if, if for some reason, like, like, in case you don't know, like a chariot of fire came down from the sky and basically took Elijah up to heaven, all right? I'm sorry, but if I'm out walking today and, and a flaming GT Cobra comes out of the sky, I'm not talking about flames like painted on the side, I'm talking about like on fire, comes out of the sky, the side door opens up, it's like, hey, Greg, you want to ride? Yes, I do. I don't care where it's going. I'm hopping in that thing because that's awesome. Okay, so you have Moses, you have Elijah. They're here, representatives maybe of the law and the prophets. We don't know. Uh, another possibility is that they both had mountaintop experiences where they encountered the Lord, right? Uh, Moses, when he was on top of Mount Sinai where he got the Ten Commandments and he interceded for the people after they were released from Egypt. Or Elijah where he was on Mount Horeb, right, and he got to meet with the Lord and he got to see the Lord. There's, there's a lot of things about this, but here's one thing, guys, that we can see about this that gives us a lot of hope for you and me today is that what we do see is that we see the validity of the hope of heaven. We see the hope of heaven. Here are two people who had walked on the earth and it, it had died and had gone to heaven, and now we see them in a glorified state interacting with Jesus. And we all have people in our lives who have passed away with the hope of heaven and with the hope of Jesus. And this gives us assurance of that hope that you and I, too, one day there is life after death in Christ Jesus to be there with him and interacting with him. Well, all this blows our minds, kind of blows us away, leaves us a little bit dumbfounded. And apparently Simon Peter was the same way, right? Anybody in here talk faster or just babble when you're nervous? Raise your hand. Come on. We're not going to pick on you. We want to see it? Yes, thank you. All right. Well, apparently you can relate to Simon Peter, right? Because Simon Peter, it's, it says in here he was like, he was afraid. He didn't know what to say. He's like, hey, I got an idea. You know, and, and you're like, what? Okay, so, so Simon Peter says, hey, I got an idea. Uh, and then when he's done, here's what happened. Look in verse 7. It says, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Then you say, why, why is that a big deal? This is God the Father's affirmation of his son Jesus, right? It's confirmation of, of who he is, uh, of, of what he's able to do, the validity in, in what he's doing right now. And you say, oh, yeah, well, that's like the second time that that's happened. For you and for me, post all of this, reading through the Gospels, this is the second time we've seen this. Anybody remember the first time where we saw God audibly confirm Jesus as his son? It starts with letter B and rhymes with baptism. 
Yes, thank you. At his baptism. That's right. Yes. Woohoo. 100 points. All right. So, no, but the thing is, is that at Jesus' baptism, we saw this as well, but nothing really in Scripture tells us that these three men were there at Jesus' baptism. So, for you and for me, this is the second time that we've seen God audibly confirm Jesus as his son. But for them, this is the first time that they've seen this and that they've heard this. So, you say, man, what in the world does that have to do with me, right? Yeah, this is all weird. This is all wild. This is all cool. But what does that have to do with me? Because when you and I surrender our lives to Jesus and we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we start a journey to grow in our faith and our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And as we continue to walk closely with Jesus, we continue to see him in ways that we would not see him otherwise. Now, will you and I ever see Jesus like this here on earth? Probably not. Probably not. We will see him again one day. Maybe if, if he comes back while we're still alive on heaven, we'll see him uh, in a glorified way, you know, riding a white stallion coming back to end the days. But, but uh, more than likely, we won't see him this until we die and go to heaven. You say, well, Greg, what does that have to do with me? Well, it's, it's kind of like this. As you continue to live long enough, and as you continue to walk with Jesus, what happens is things start popping up in your mind and your understanding of Jesus that, that maybe you didn't know before. Maybe it's something like you're reading through the Bible, and, and maybe you've read a passage before, maybe you've read an encounter before, but something about that makes it just stand off the page to you. I, I remember uh, one time I was reading through the Gospels, and I was trying to do like an own personal study of people who had encountered Jesus, and I was trying to kind of break it down to what were their lives, what was going on in their lives when they encountered Jesus, what did the encounter with Jesus do to their lives, and what did their lives look like after they encountered him? You know, just kind of looking at that. And I remember I was sitting there reading it, and I was studying it one time, and it was like this new thought came to mind that after reading through the Gospels and after looking at all these people, there wasn't a single person I saw in there who came to Jesus, and Jesus turned them away. Now, there were plenty of people who left of their own volition, but, man, that just blew my mind. You say, well, Greg, why was that such a big deal? Because what it reminded me is that every one of us in this room, no matter the decisions that we've made in life or the decisions that we haven't made in life, no matter what kind of life we come from, no matter how old we are, no matter what our demographics are, no matter what our, our gender is, no matter what our ethnicity is, none of those things matter when you come to faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ welcomes everybody who comes to him. And that just kind of blew me away. He doesn't pick and choose special people. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That just got, blew me away. Or maybe, maybe you're, uh, you're going through church, right? Maybe you've, you've grown up in church your whole life, and you've heard dozens upon dozens, maybe hundreds upon hundreds of sermons, but like one Sunday, there's something in the sermon that just, just stands out to you, and you just leave there like this. Whoa, <laughs> Right? It happens to us. Why? Because as we continue to get closer to Jesus, things tend to stand out. Now, here's the reason why. Because as you continue to grow and as you continue to age, you're going to go through different transitions of life. Some of you can look back and you go, man, there's so many things that are running through my mind now that never ran through my mind when I was in elementary school, right? Like in elementary school, the, you know, the biggest deal is like when is square pizza and corn and chocolate milk, right? I mean, that's just, that's kind of the biggest thing. That's, that's the biggest part of your day, right? By the way, the corner pizzas that are burnt, those are the best ones. But the thing is, is that as you get older, there's other things like jobs, responsibilities, you know, applying for college. What? You know, or 
The best part is when you get to be an adult and you get to, like, work and have responsibilities. I say best part sarcastically, by the way. So you say, well, what, what does that have to do with it? As you go through different stages of life, guys, different passages, different texts, different concepts, all these things are going to have a different application in your life. And don't miss it. Don't be like, if somebody opens their Bible and they go, hey, we're going we're gonna to read John 3.16. Don't be like, oh, my gosh, I've heard this verse like a thousand times. So that, that, that verse should still be as powerful to you on 1001 as it was on one. As we continue to grow and we continue to walk, as we walk closer with Jesus, we continue to see him in ways that we would not see him otherwise. The second truth. The second truth is this, that walking closely with Jesus develops a desire in our hearts to stay with him. Walking closely with Jesus develops a desire in our hearts to stay with him. Look at what Peter said in verse 5. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. Now, Simon Peter gets a bad rap for being the guy who, you know, he's, he's kind of a killjoy. He kills a moment. You know, you, you read through Scripture. Pre-resurrection Jesus, Simon Peter was kind of a moron, right? I'd love to say I relate to post-resurrection Simon Peter, like the one we read about in the book of Acts, but I'm not. Uh, but the thing is, is that he was actually right in this situation. It was good for them to be there. And, and he makes a great point because it was good for them to be in the presence of Jesus. Now, listen, guys, one of the things that you may have seen in your life or that you may see as you get older is that sometimes the most excited people for Jesus are the people who have just come to faith in Christ in him. Sometimes the, most, the, the people that are setting the world on fire are the people that have just recently come to faith in Christ. Because what tends to happen is that if we walk with Jesus a long time, sometimes we just get, we grow complacent. You know, like it's like if you've grown up in church, going to church is just another thing that you do during your week. Or, you know, if, you, if you've grown up reading your Bible, reading your Bible is just another thing that you do that morning. Just the same as pulling up Wordle or pulling up social media or pulling up whatever. And, and it's not that, that we're living in sin or, or that we've lost our salvation. It's just that complacency has set in. And we forget what it was like when we had this overwhelming desire to say it is good for us to be in the presence of Jesus. It, it's kind of like in Psalm 51. It's, it's a psalm, that, the verse that many of you may have learned or may even know uh, where, where David wrote, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, now what is David asking the Lord there to do? Number one, he's asking for a restoration. I love restoration projects. I don't know what it is about me, but like restoration shows like fascinate me. I love taking stuff that's like beat up and, and abused and like bringing it back. I don't know. That's just kind of fun maybe. And, and so the thing about that is in restoration, what that means is something isn't quite like it was when it was first made, but there's hope that it can get back to that place, right? That's what a restoration is. And, and what what David is saying here is that, is that there's a restoration sometimes that needs to take place in our hearts and in our minds and our relationship with Jesus. But notice what he says. The restoration isn't the salvation. That's, that's very important to know. It's not your salvation that needs to be restored. He says it's the joy of that salvation that needs to be restored. Maybe some of us have, have walked with Jesus most of our lives or all of our lives or for a really long time, and we've gotten to a place that we've lost the joy of that salvation. The, the thought that Jesus has saved us from our sins no longer wows us and kind of blows us away. 
Well, like King David, we can pray that that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Like Peter says, it's good for us to be here. We can ask ourselves, how is my desire to spend time with Jesus? How is my desire to spend time with Jesus? How's my desire spending time with him in worship, both individually and corporately? Do we love to to worship the Lord throughout the week when whatever we're doing? Do do we enjoy coming to church when we have the opportunity to come to church? How do we, uh, how are we enjoying our time reading the Bible? You know, do we enjoy opening up the Bible and still reading new things or, or rediscovering things that we had forgotten? Spending time meditating on his word, spending time in prayer, like is, is prayer something that you only do before you eat? Uh, or, or is prayer something that you try to do regularly and, and you enjoy it? Or is it just the mundane thing that's just kind of like putting on your shoes? That's just what I did. What are all these things in our lives? Basically, what, are we, what is causing us to have this, this void of saying, Jesus, it's good to be here? And, and I want to bring this up because it shouldn't be from a guilt trip point of view. Guilt is a terrible master. But from an evaluation standpoint to say, like these disciples, if we've walked with Jesus for a long time, have we gotten to a place where our walk with him is complacent to where we need to be reminded of Simon Peter's truth that it is good for us to be in the presence of Jesus. And we can pray, like David prayed, that the Lord would restore to us the joy of our salvation. So as we walk closely with Jesus, we see him in ways that we would not see him otherwise, and we develop a desire to stay with him. And that's a, that's a good desire to have. And the third thing, the last thing that we see is that walking closely with Jesus always takes us into the real world to have an impact. Walking closely with Jesus always takes us into the real world to have an impact. As you grow in your walk with Jesus, one of the things we're saying is that you should develop this desire to want to stay with Jesus, and that's a good desire to have. But Jesus' desire is also for you and I to go out from that place and to be his ambassadors. If you know anything about ambassadors, it's a term that the Bible gives to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Ambassadors don't stay, right, in the embassy. They, They leave the embassy in order to go take the message that they've been commissioned to take to the place where they've been commissioned to take it. It's kind of like this. You guys may recall reading through the Gospels, the, you know, the, the encounter of the demon-possessed man, the freaky dude on the cross of the lake of Gennesaret, the guy that most of your parents probably wouldn't let you be friends with, girls. There's no way in the world you get a date with him, right? But the thing is that they went across the lake of Gennesaret, and here's this dude that's like demon-possessed with a legion. That's the word they use, a legion of demons. The dude would run around naked, cutting himself, screaming, la, 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 throughout the town, right? And he lived in the cemetery. <laughs> that should be your first clue right there. Naked dude in the cemetery, probably not top of the bill, right? I mean, that's just how this guy was. This dude was jacked up, okay? And so Jesus and his disciples, they go across the lake of Gennesaret. Freaky dude comes down and sees them, and Jesus heals them. He heals him of all of the demons. The demons run into a, uh, the pigs. The pigs go down, and the herd of pigs go down in the water. They drown themselves. And it says in there that all the people came out of the town after they had heard what had happened. And they see this dude in his right mind and clothed. I love how they make that point. Yeah, dude got dressed. <laughs> He's in his right mind. He's sitting there with Jesus. And, and the people were freaked out by it. And one of the most tragic statements in all of Scripture was the people begged Jesus to leave. And Jesus said, 
Okay. So Jesus and his disciples get in the boat, and as they're about to push away, this guy who's now been radically changed by Jesus Christ sells Jesus. Hey, bro, I want to go with you. Why would he not? <laughs> I mean, all of us would have that desire. And here's what Jesus said. He says, no. He says, go back home and tell your family about what the Lord has done. And the Bible says that the guy didn't just go back home. He went on a 10-city tour to the Decapolis telling people about what Jesus had done. That's what it's like. As we continue to grow closer, draw closer to Jesus, grow in our relationship with him, we spend that time with Jesus. Why? So that we can come down on the mountaintop, we can go into our lives, and we can have an impact on those people. Look at what happens here in verse, in verse 9. It says, as they came down the mountain. I mean, can you imagine what this was like? This is probably greater than any revival or any worship service, you know, any, any passion week that you and I could ever encounter. This is incredible. These guys would have been walking on cloud nine, experiencing what they just experienced. And they walk down off the mountainside, and they immediately, they immediately encounter just something that you'd, you'd want to turn around and walk back up the mountain. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's too soon. Too soon. I'm, I'm walking back up here. Look at, look at what happens in, in verse 14. So they come down the mountainside. When they came to the other disciples, right, they're coming to join the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. Now, some of you may run to an argument. I don't know. But, man, when I'm feeling pretty good about spending time with Jesus, usually an argument isn't the first thing I'm hoping to step into, right? You know, you're like, ooh, somebody's a little ruffled. All right, here we go. So they teach the law, arguing with them, and as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they all ran to greet him. Now, some of you socialites in here who, you know, struggle with FOMO, you probably enjoy being bum-rushed by a crowd, okay? But for most of us other mere mortals, it's, it's a little overwhelming, right? Like sometimes when you walk up and just a flood of people come after you, you're like, oh, snap, hang on, wait, wait, you know? Probably, you know, think about like VBS, right? When you walk into a room and all these kids just like take you over. Ah! You know, whoa, hang on there, cowboy. All right, so that's kind of what's going on. These people are arguing. These people bum rush them. And, and Jesus says, hey, what are, you, what are you arguing about? Jesus instantly engages the crowd. He instantly comes in and starts talking to people. He starts diffusing the situation. He starts healing people, right? They, they go up on this mountainside. Why? So that they could come down off the mountainside and have an impact of the people that needed them down below. Jesus didn't bring his disciples up on the mountaintop to stay with them, but to experience a moment with them to strengthen their faith as they went into the valley. Warren Wiersbe said this about this passage. It's it pretty great. He said, how wonderful it would be to stay on the mountaintop and bask in his glory. But his disciples, uh, but, but discipleship means denying self, taking up a cross, and following him. And you cannot do that and selfishly stay on the mount of glory. There are needs to meet in the valley below. And if we want to share in the glory of Christ on the mountaintop, we must be willing to follow him into the sufferings of the valley below. All right, so as we get ready to transition to our table group times, some truths that we can take away from the Mount of Transfiguration for you and for me is simply this. Number one, you and I should continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus because as we continue to grow closer to him, we will begin to see him in ways that we've never seen him before, and that'll be an awesome thing. And my prayer for you is that that'll happen on multiple occasions throughout your life. Like, I hope that you don't just have a, a transforming encounter with Jesus one time, and that's it. 
I hope you have several. As you continue to get older and as you continue to grow in your relationship with Christ, I hope that you have multiple times where you see Jesus in a way that just leaves you astonished and flabbergasted and amazement of, of who he is. Also, is that as you continue to grow in that closeness with Jesus Christ, you'll continue to develop this desire in your heart that you want to spend time with him more. You want to you be there. You want to say, Jesus, it is good that I'm here. I want to do this some more. And then thirdly, all those things would come together to both encourage you and equip you and put you in a place that you can overflow out of your heart and your love for Jesus to have an impact with all the people that Jesus put in your lives. As they came out the mountaintop, here's two things that, that you need to know. Number one, there were people there that they had chose to have in their lives. And there were people there who just showed up. You say, well, Greg, what does that matter? There's going to be people in your life that you chose to have in your life. It may be coworkers. It may be uh, friends, right? It may be family members. Those are people that you, you had a little bit of input on, on their relationship in your life. And then there's always going to be people that just pop up in your life that you didn't control. And both groups of those are people that Jesus has in your life so that you can have an impact with them. Yeah? So let me pray. Um, I know y'all have table group time. Y'all, y'all table group leaders may have some. Some questions, I have some that I toss up on the screen just in case you, you need some help with some things.